How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. God is good, is he not? Good to see you today. Um, we're in the middle of our one thing, our physicality focus of our one things process. And for those of you that don't know, one things is a two-year process in which we focus on eight different areas of human development. We're on the second area now, which is physicality. We started with spirituality. Now we're on physicality. And soon we're going to go on to the financial uh, one thing. This is the third month of our physicality one thing. And so we're bringing this focus to a close. We've got this week's message and next week's message, and then we're done. Uh, we did two series last month and, and a month before, uh, three-part series in each month. And so if you missed it, you can go to the website, download those messages for free. All of our messages are offered as free downloads on our website. You can also subscribe to our podcast, and it will come right into your inbox, uh, right into your iTunes account. The, the uh, series for this month is entitled Materials for the Building. And we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah and looking at how Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. And we've been talking about the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem as a metaphor for understand what it means to build our physical bodies. In this physicality, one thing, we're talking about how to build our physical bodies. We're doing a little bit of bodybuilding. But when we're talking about bodybuilding, we're not just talking about getting big muscles, but we're talking about overall physical health and how it relates to our spiritual life. That is, what does God have to do with your physical health? And we are discovering that God has a heck of a lot to do with your physical health. And in actuality, what we've discovered is that when it comes to the materials that we need to build any component of our lives, we find that the materials are all the same. Whether you're building your spiritual life, your family life, your financial life, your physical life, your vocational life, the materials for the building are all the same. And we've identified three basic materials, three foundational materials for the building that we're focusing on in the month of November. And those three materials are, number one, the Word of God. And that's what we focused on last week, how to use the Word of God to build your physical life. Today we're focusing on the second, which is the worship of the Lord, worshiping God, worship as a fundamental building block of your physical health. And then number three, which we will focus on next week, is the fellowship of the saints, fellowship with, fellowshipping in the spirit with other believers in Jesus Christ as a fundamental building block of your physical health. And so today we're focusing on worship. Now we see word, worship, and fellowship coming together in the book of Nehemiah. Because when you get to the end of Nehemiah chapter 6, they finished building the wall. And you get to chapter 7 and you see the first thing that Nehemiah did was he appointed Levites, singers and musicians, priests, to be teachers and to be worshipers. And the first thing they did was they called a sacred assembly and, they, and Ezra the priest brought out the book of the law. And they built a podium for him, a big wooden platform, and he stood up on the platform, and it says he opened the book of the law. And when Ezra stood with the book of the law, the entire congregation of Israel stood. And for that entire day, Ezra read from the book of the law, and there were Levite priests scattered among the people so that Ezra would read, and a group of Levites closest to him would hear and re recant what he said, and then the next group would hear and recant what he said so that this entire multitude, probably more than a million Israelites, could hear the word of the Lord that was spoken through the mouth of the prophet uh, of Ezra, the priest. And the scripture says that as they heard the words of the law that were being read by the prophet, by the, the priest Ezra, they began to weep and they began to mourn. 
Why did they weep and mourn? Because they recognized that their lives were not aligned with the word of God. And they recognized that their entire captivity that happened in 586 in Babylon that they were just returning from, they, were, they realized that their entire captivity was due to their disobedience to the word of God. And they recognized that God had been just in what he had done to them. And they recognized that even at this moment when God was rebuilding their walls, their lives were still not in alignment with the word. And so they began to weep and they began to mourn and they began to repent before the Lord. And what we find is that when you begin to receive the word of God, the very reception of the word of God leads you immediately to a place of repentance. Because you can't even begin to open the word of God without coming to grips with the fact that your life is not in alignment, alignment with it in some place. I mean, every time I open it up and every time I begin to read it, I'm confronted with the fact that I do not live up to this. My life is not in alignment with this. And that is the place of repentance. Repentance is the process by which you submit your mind to God. You take your mind. That's what the word means, to, to change your mind. And so in repentance, we bring our minds to God and we say, God, transform the way I think about these things because the way I think about these things is not in alignment with your word. And in that act of repentance, the very next step after repentance is worship. It says, then they began to worship the Lord and the priests and the singers began to sing. They went from word to repentance to worship. Worship was the second building block for the people of Israel and worship is a primary building block for every area of our lives, especially our physicality. Say, what's worship got to do with our body? Well, just as repentance is the presentation of the mind to God, worship expresses itself as the presentation of the body to God. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... And then in in the second verse, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. When your mind is renewed, it's called repentance. When you present your body to God, it's called worship. That is, it is the expression of worship. But there's some things about worship that we must understand if we are to do it rightly in a way that is good, holy, and acceptable to God. So what is worship? Now, in order to understand worship, we've got to go to Genesis 22. Any description of worship that neglects Genesis 22 neglects the foundation of the matter. Because what we find in Genesis 22 is the first place in Scripture where the word worship is used. God comes to Abraham in the middle of the night. says, Abraham, wake up. He wakes up. He says, you know that son Isaac whom you love? He said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So he's he's a good son, isn't he? Yep. Looks just like you, doesn't he? Yes. Here's what I want you to do. Get up tomorrow morning. Take him to the place I'll show you and sacrifice him to me on, the, on an altar as a burnt offering. The scripture says Abraham got up early in the morning, took two young men with him, took Isaac, his son, chopped wood for the burnt offering, took the knife, took the fire, and they journeyed. And when they got to the mountain, Abraham looked at these young men and he said, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to worship. Come on, Isaac, let's go. Me and the boy are going to worship. I'm going to offer my best to God. I'm going to offer my everything to God. I'm going to offer my all to God. Me and the boy are going to worship. Worship, Abraham's understanding of what worship was, came at the very place where he was commanded by God to offer to him the thing that he loved. 
and the thing that he cherished. But we've got to qualify Genesis 22. Because what Genesis 22 does for us is it causes us to fear. I mean, I've been afraid of Genesis 22. I remember growing up, I was scared to death of Genesis 22. Scared to death. Why? Because what I understood when I read Genesis 22 is if I love anything, it's idolatry. And if I enjoy anything, it's idolatry. And you better be careful loving or liking or enjoying anything because God's going to take it away. Because what worship is, is making sure that you don't enjoy anything in life but God. And if you like it, God says, I saw you enjoying that. I'm taking it away. Because that's what God wants to do is take from you the thing that you enjoy. And I also believe the corollary to that was the belief that, that what I did not want, that's what God was going to give me. If there's something that I hated, God would say, that's you right there. See, I grew up in a church that was predominantly Caucasian. And by the way, we need more Caucasians up in here. We got, you know, bring some. Yeah, yeah, come, come on. We, we got we to. Gotta... Somebody said, this church is being taken over by Koreans. <laughs> I love the multi-ethnicity here. It's just all, it's awesome. But we need to balance it out with some more white folk. But <clears throat> get some more guitars up there or something. Somebody said, got to plan some activities. Go hiking. You know, they'll come. <clears throat> I'm getting off track. Moving, moving on. The church I grew up in was predominantly Caucasian, and, and there was about 40 or 50 of us little kids in the church, and two of us were African-American, me and another little African-American girl. And it just so happened that every older person in the church had a word from the Lord that we were supposed to get married, me and that girl. Isn't it funny that when the Lord spoke to them about my wife, it happened to be the other black girl in the church, the one other black girl in the church. And they, they didn't mind telling us, oh, Benjamin, the Lord told me that she is your wife. I'm praying that the two of you, oh, it would be so beautiful if you two. And you know what? There was not a bone in my body that was ever attracted to her, even for 15 seconds. And that's why I was scared to death that it was God's will for me to marry her. I used to pray with tears and trembling, please don't make me marry her. Got nothing against her. I love her. She's like my sister. But I just did not love her in that way. And I was scared to death that the thing I don't want, that's what God has for me. And the thing I do want, God's going to take that. If I love something, he's going to take it from me. And it seems like that's exactly what happened in Genesis 22. The problem was Abraham loved Isaac too much. And I've even talked to parents who are scared that they love their kids too much. Maybe God's going to take them from me because I love my kids too much. That is not what Genesis 22 is about. Let me explain it to you. In order to understand Genesis 22, you've got to understand Genesis 15. Without Genesis 15, there is no Genesis 22. Had Abraham got it right in Genesis 15, he would never have to go to Genesis 22. You know, I saw, and Dr. Carrington will appreciate this, I saw a, a, uh, a cartoon where a man wakes up in, a, in the chair of an orthodontist, orthodontist and he feels a pain in his neck and, he, he's touch, and you see these stitches in his neck and he's looking up at the orthodontist like, what the heck? And the orthodontist looks at him and says, yeah, we couldn't get to the la that last wisdom tooth so we had to go in from a different direction.
You see, when God wants to take something out, he tries to go straight in through your mouth. But if he can't get in that way, he'll have to go in through a different direction. Follow me. Genesis 15, God tries to go right in. He tries to do it the easy way. Genesis 15 is the moment of delay where God had made Abraham these grand promises but had not yet delivered on those promises. Where God had spoken to Abraham about the very things that caused him shame, the very things that caused him reproach, the very things that caused him pain, God said, I'm going to answer those those prayers. Those things in your life that you desperately desire, I'm going to give them to you. And there were two things Abraham longed for. Number one was a son. That is his line. And number two was the land. And God says, I'm going to give you a line and I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you a line, offspring, and I'm going to give you an estate, the land. And we get to Genesis 15 and God had not gotten around to fulfilling those promises yet. And instead, Abram is walking around with the name Abram, which means exalted father, and he ain't got no kids. He's bearing reproach and shame. He feels humiliated and exposed in front of everyone. Have you ever felt exposed and humiliated in front of people? Like everybody sees my problem. Everybody sees what's wrong with me, and I'm just afraid. I'm ashamed to show my face. That's how Abraham felt. And God comes to him in Genesis 15 and says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your great reward. And Abram responds, Lord God, so what? What can you give me? What can you give me? Translation. Yeah, but you ain't doing nothing for me, though. Those are just words. And you ain't been doing nothing but speaking words to me since Genesis 12. This is the fourth chapter of words. I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of words from you. I want to see some action. Ain't nothing happened. Sick and tired of people telling me I'm going to get healed and I'm still sick. Sick and tired of people telling me I'm going to get a new job and I'm still broke. Sick and tired of people telling me I'm going to have a fine wife and I've been single for the last 15 years since I graduated college. I'm sick and tired of people telling me what God's going to do. I'm tired of hearing words. So what? Don't bring me any more of your words. I want to see some action. What can you give me? That's exactly what he says. What can you give me? But what have you done for me lately? I mean, I don't have a son. And the one who's going to inherit my estate is a slave named Eliezer Damascus. And you're telling me you're my shield. What have you shielded me from? You're my great reward. I'm being punished. And God says, I guess we're going to have to get that tooth from another direction. Translation. God came in the midst of delay to renew the promise. Why? Because he is trying to shape Abraham's value system. He's communicating something to Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, I want you to value my love, my presence, my calling, and my blessing 
more than you value the things that you most desire, your son, the land. And I'm coming to you right now to see if you have that value. That even if I haven't given you what you've asked for, do you still value my presence? Do you still hear my word and accept it as enough? And Abraham says, nope. And God sees that Abraham is not even able to identify with God's love apart from God's blessing. And so God says, okay, I'm going to get at that tooth, but I'm going to have to go through another direction. I'm going to have to come at it through another direction. And so God speaks to Abraham and says, okay, don't worry. A slave is not going to inherit your possession, but a son, listen to the language, that comes from your own body. He's setting him up right there. A son that comes out of your own body is going to inherit your possession. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Go get a young heifer, a female goat, and a couple turtle doves. Bring them back to me. He brings them back. The Lord says, good. Cut them in half. Lay them out. We're about to make covenant. We're going to cut covenant. It's what they did in the ancient world. God said, I'm cutting a covenant with you. And then God comes down in a smoking fire pot and passes between the pieces. He puts Abraham into a deep sleep and he makes covenant with him. I'm going to give you the land and I'm going to give you the promise. I'm going to give you a child. However, know that your descendants are going to be strangers in a foreign land for 400 years. I'm going to give you the land and I'm going to give you the child. However, and he didn't tell him about Genesis 22. He said, I'm going to separate the land from you for a season. Why? Because I'm getting at that tooth. Follow me. I'm going to get at that tooth. I just want you to know I'm giving you the land, but I'm going to take it from you for a season. It's yours as an everlasting inheritance. But for 400 years, your people are going to be slaves in a foreign land. And then I'm going to bring them back and you're going to possess the land. It says, I'm going to do what you're asking me for, but I'm going to get at that tooth, Abraham. Abraham comes out of it, and sure enough, you know the turn of events. Isaac is born. Abraham rejoices. He was never so thankful before in all of his life. And matter of fact, maybe there was never another a man that was more thankful than Abraham was after Isaac was born. He was like Pastor Vern, crying all the time. Just smiling ear to ear. Always. Nothing bothered Abraham from the moment Isaac was born. Nothing bothered him. And God just watched him. Just rejoiced with him. For about another seven chapters. Then he gets to Genesis 22 and God says, Wake up, Abraham. Wake up, Abraham. See, Abraham, what you don't know is that I was trying to take something out of your heart in Genesis 15 that you wouldn't release. So now I'm going to have to get at it from another direction. I'm going to have to take it out of your hand. Abraham, wake up. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him to me as a burnt offering in the place I'll show you. I bet at that moment, Abraham wished he could go all the way back to Genesis 15. Let's, let's get a do-over, Lord. Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield and your great reward. Yes, you are. Amen. Hallelujah. You're my shield and my great reward. Even though you ain't got no kids, don't need no kids. I got you. Even though you don't have any land, don't need no land. You are my shield. You are my great reward. You called me through four chapters ago in Genesis 12. You called me to get out of my father's house. I was the only, do you know, I'm the only man on the planet that you talk to. That's all I need. One word for, I mean, you, 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 
You called me out. You separated me. You took me out of the nations. You called me. You chose me. How could you choose me? Man, that is, that, that's all I need. To know that you called me, hallelujah, that's all I need. And God would have just erased Genesis 22 out of his plan. Because he doesn't need to take from you that which you've already surrendered. You know what? I'm glad Abraham messed up in Genesis 15. You know why? Because there's not a one of us in this room that hasn't been to Genesis 15. I mean, there's not a one of us in this room who hasn't had a Genesis 15 moment. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever, ever said in your heart, Lord, do you really love me? You had a Genesis 15 moment. If you ever felt like God abandoned you because something went wrong in your life. Something went wrong in your life and you cried out, God, am I cursed? You had a Genesis 15 moment. If you've ever asked God to prove that he's with you by giving you something that you desperately long for, you had a Genesis 15 moment, my friend. If you ever felt shortchanged by God as if he sold you something that didn't work, you've had a Genesis 15 moment. If you ever got tired of hearing the same old words of encouragement that don't seem to change anything in your life, you have had a Genesis 15 moment. If you ever heard words that should have set you free, but you said, so what? I'm sick and tired of hearing that. You have had a Genesis 15 moment. And if you've been to Genesis 15, you better believe that you're on your way to Genesis 22. Because if you've allowed anything to separate your heart from the love of God, you better believe that the day will come when God will require you to raise the knife over that thing. See, worship is not an activity. Worship is a value system. You need to write this down. And everybody in this room needs to tweet it. Make sure you quote me. When your friends are writing, man, you're deep. Listen to this. Worship is the state of the heart that values God above all things. Do you hear that? Worship is not an activity. Worship is the state of the heart that values God Above all things. Abraham had to go to Mount Moriah because he did not yet value God above Isaac. See, he could have loved Isaac as much as he wanted to love him. He could have valued Isaac as much as he, value, as much as he wanted to value him. As long as he valued God more. That is, as long as God was set in his proper place in his life, you can love whatever you want to love as much as you want to love it. As long as it does not dislocate your heart from the love of God. And anything that dislocates your, your heart from the love of God is in the wrong place. And you know when it dislocates your heart from the love of God, when the absence of it causes you to feel unloved by God. If the absence of money causes you to feel like God's not with you, then money's in the wrong place in your heart. 
If the absence of the job you want causes you to feel like God's not with you, that job's in the wrong place in your heart. Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, laid him on an altar, and he called it worship. But the worship that took place on Mount Moriah was not about the sacrifice that was laid on the altar. Because we all know that Isaac didn't die on that altar. He raised the knife and God said, stop. And actually, there's, there's some of us in this room that God said, stop, but you still killed the thing. I didn't actually want you to quit that job. I just wanted to see if you were willing to. Can you imagine Abraham just killing Isaac and then just, come on, I said stop. (laughs) God did not require Abraham to kill his son. The whole ordeal was about restructuring Abraham's value system. You see, worship is not about sacrifice. It is about valuing God above all things. And if there's any place in your life where you don't value God above all things, sacrifice is necessary. But sacrifice is not the choice. Sacrifice is not the point. God is not a cosmic killjoy who just asks you to sacrifice whatever you like. He's not after sacrifice. He wants your heart. Valuing God above all things often entails the violent dislocation of things that have attached themselves to your heart so that they can be repositioned and resituated somewhere beneath the throne of God. Did you hear that? Can I say that again? Valuing God above all things often entails the violent dislocation of things that have attached themselves to your heart. So that they can be repositioned and resituated somewhere beneath the throne of God. Not so they can be destroyed, but so they can be perfected. When God calls you to sacrifice, it's not that he wants to destroy something in your life. He wants to perfect something in your life, but it can only be perfected once it's been subjected. See, asking God to perfect something that you haven't subjected to him is futile. He won't perfect anything you haven't subjected. Any, nothing that has not been submitted to Jesus Christ. See, that's why if you have not laid your children on the altar, don't even bother praying about them changing their lives. you got to subject them to the word of God if you want God to perfect them. But if you have laid them on the altar and raised them in the way they should go, even if they act a fool when they get older, don't even worry. You already laid them on the altar before God. Mm. Worship centers on the presentation of the body to God. Because our bodies are what we very naturally value more than anything else in the world. You wake up in the morning and the first thing you hear are the demands of your body. You wake up, your body says, go to the toilet. Come on, somebody. Are you done with that? Now get in the shower, shave my face, 
whatever, or my legs. <laughs> Unless you're Korean, then you ain't got to shave nothing. And that's men or women. <laughs> Mickey told me, he said, I wish I could shave. I said, I wish I didn't have to. Let's, tra- Lord, transfer anointing. Now go get something to eat. Your body's ordering you around all day. And when you are more in tune to the demands of your body than you are to the demands of your covenant with God, you are experiencing the idolatry of the body. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. I'm looking at verse 17 and following in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He's talking about a pattern of life, an example of living. And then he explains what that example is. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame. And then he explains what all of this means. Who set their mind on earthly things. What you do with your body is determined by where you set your mind. And where you set your mind is determined by the level to which you receive the word of God. The Bible says in in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that when you open the pages of scripture and begin to receive the word of God, the Holy Spirit releases hearing. That is the ability to hear the voice of God. And the moment the Holy Spirit releases hearing, the ability to hear the voice of God through the pages of scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, faith comes. And faith is the opposite of unbelief. And it is the product of repentance. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. You cannot believe until you repent. And so when your mind is set on earthly things, you need to repent. But you can only repent by a receiving of the word of God. See, repentance does not mean to say, I'm sorry. It means to open your heart to to receive the word of God and to allow the Holy Spirit to give you hearing. And when the Holy Spirit gives you hearing, suddenly faith comes and you begin to believe what God says. And when you begin to believe what God says, you begin to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when you begin to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, all of a sudden, even though your body still has many demands, it's no longer your God. It's determined by your mindset. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 21. This is so important. Who will transform our lowly body. Look at your neighbor say, you got a lowly body. I don't care how much time you spent in the gym, you got a lowly body. I don't care how muscular you are or physically fit. See, this thing is not just about being physically fit. The greatest bodybuilder on the planet has a lowly body compared to the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hearing me? He will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. God wants to give you a glorious body, but a glorious body, according to this passage of scripture, that he begins to transform and renew our lowly bodies the moment we begin to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That is setting your mind on the things of God even begins to affect your physical body. Now we see this also in Romans chapter 8 verse 11. Because Paul says, if the spirit of he who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit. Do you realize that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that builds your physical body and not necessarily your activity in the gym? And I'm not saying stop going to the gym and just pray. Go to the gym but pray while you're on that treadmill. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. My spiritual father, I've known him for 20 years, Pastor Robert Daniels. I've never known him to be sick. Yeah, that's true. Never seen him have a cold. Yeah. This, 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 this will blow you away. I've never seen him even sniffle or sneeze or cough in 20 years. And I asked him about it. I said, I, I real, I, you know, I noticed I've never known you. I've never even seen you sick. You, I, I mean, do you get sick and I just don't know about it? And he said, no. It's been more than 20 years since I had a cold. He said, but you know what I realized? That if I'm walking in the spirit and I feel a little sniffles come on, I just make a decision. I'm not going to receive it. And it goes away. Because he said by the spirit, he's going to quicken, give life to my mortal body. And so that's what I'm receiving. I'm believing the promise. I'm believing the word. See, I received that word and it came by here. It came with hearing and hearing brought about faith. Faith came through hearing and hearing came through the word of God. And once faith came, when I received that word that he's going to give life to my mortal bodies, I just received life in my mortal body. And so I just don't pay any attention to sickness. I'm not fighting against it. I'm just walking with Jesus. Just walking with Jesus. Just walking with Jesus. It affects even your physical body. But it starts with the offering of the body to God. Now, watch this. Remember we said that in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham a son who would come from his own body. He said a son will come from your own body. Literally, Isaac was already in his loins. And the author of Hebrews talks about this. When Abraham offered the tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, he said Levi was in his loins. So that even there, Levi offered the tithe to Melchizedek. What this means is that when, when Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, it was like putting his own body on the altar. Because Isaac came from his body. And matter of fact, Abraham was about 113 years old at this time. So when he put Isaac on the altar, he cared more about Isaac's body than his own body. It was an offering of the body. Remember Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Worship is one of the primary building blocks for the health of the physical body. Because if your body is at the top of your value system, you will destroy your body. If meeting the demands of your body is your number one value, your body will demand that which will destroy it. 
When the cravings of your body are stronger than your cravings for the presence of God, your body is on a collision course with destruction. But when you position your body beneath the throne of God, you bring it into alignment with God's perfect will, and you situate it right in the midst of the flow of divine, restorative, supernatural life. And by subjecting your body to God, you allow God to perfect it. We struggle with many things in this life associated with the physical body. But I'm telling you that we don't live according to that pattern. The pattern that we live according to is the expectation that Christ is going to come to transform our lowly bodies so that they conform to his glorious body. And when we think that way, then we begin to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Bow your heads this morning. This morning, God is coming to transform your value system. It's about your value system. It's not about sacrifice. He is not a bloodthirsty God who just wants sacrifice. Matter of fact, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And God has prepared a body for you. Why? Not just so that it can be broken or sacrificed before him, but so that it could become an offering. And in it becoming an offering, submitted and subjected to the Lord, it's purified. It's sanctified. It's set apart so that it can be used for the glory of God on a daily basis. It's about submitting your members as instruments of righteousness rather than unrighteousness. It's about making the decision, God, whatever I have to lay on the altar in order for you to be at the top of my value system, I lay it right now. I lay it right now. Just make that decision. I lay it right now. I lay it right now. Some of you are on your way to Genesis 22. Some of you are standing right at the base of Mount Moriah right now. You already know what your Genesis 22 is. You already know what God's asking asking you to lay down. You already know. It's already in your heart and in your mind. Others of you, you don't know. You don't have to worry if you're not at Genesis 22 yet. You don't have to worry. Maybe you're just at Genesis 15 still. Some of you, maybe just this morning, you were saying, God, so what? Another word about your blessing, but I don't feel blessed. Another word about your favor, but I don't feel favored. Another word about your love, but I don't feel loved. Maybe you're right there at Genesis 15. Some of you, God's going to give you what you've asked for, what you've longed for. And then he's going to separate you from it just for a moment. Not to take it away, but to purify it. He did it with Abraham's line. He said, lay your son on the altar. Then he did it for, for the land. He sent them into Egypt for 400 years. But in both situations, he restored Isaac. He restored his line. And he restored Israel back to the promised land. He restored their land. Because at the end of the day, God wants to prepare you so he can give you more. See, God didn't want Abraham just to have one son, Isaac. He wanted him to be the father of many nations. Sons as numerous as the sands of the sea, of the stars of the sky. Whatever it is that God is asking you to lay on the altar, he wants you to have a lot more of it, not less of it. 
He doesn't want to just take it away and ruin you. He's not a God who comes to ruin you. He comes to restore you and to build you and to strengthen you and to lift you up and to, to bless you and to multiply you. And at that place where Abraham lifted the knife over his son Isaac, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Stop, Abraham. Listen, he said, Now I know. Now I know that you will obey my commands. For you did not withhold from me your son, your only son. Now I know. You see, it was a test. But the thing you need to understand about every test, and some of you here are in the midst of a test, that when God puts you through a test, it's not pass-fail. It's stand-fall. You see, James said, Blessed is he who perseveres under trial. For after you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's not about passing, it's about standing. How do I know I passed? Are you still standing? You say, well, I stumbled. Well, the scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. It's not about whether you ever fell or not. It's did you get back up again? Did you get up and say, I stumbled, but I'm getting up again? You're going to stand the test. You're going to receive the crown of life. The angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham. He said, in blessing, I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply you. I will make your descendants like the sands of the sea. Why? You stood the test, Abraham. You were willing to offer what you had. You were willing to put it on the altar before me. You weren't going to hold back from me, even your own son. Oh, Abraham, wait till you see what I'm getting ready to bless you with. I know that I don't have to withhold any good thing that I wanted to give to you. It's not going to destroy you. It's going to increase you. But I got to make sure, Abraham, that your value system is in the right place. I got to make sure, I got to make sure, Abraham, that you value me above all things. God is here to shape your value system this morning. And right now, before the Lord, I want you just to respond in your heart. Respond in your mind. Respond with your mouth. Say, God, I give it to you. Whatever it is, I lay it on the altar. I want you to repent of any place in your life where you said, God, have you left me? Have you cursed me? Have you abandoned me? Come out of that Genesis 15 moment. It's not too late. It's not too late. Maybe if Abraham would have woke up along the way and said, wait a minute, that wasn't right. Genesis 15 wasn't right. God, you are my shield and my great reward. You are my great reward. You are the, you're the one worth living for. If I have you, I've got everything. You're all I need. You're all I need. You're all I need. You're all I need. Come on, just have a moment with God and tell him that he's all that you need. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus. Oh. Jesus, you are my great reward. You are the prize worth living for. And I'll trade it all to love you more, my great reward. Jesus, you are my great reward. You are the prize worth living for. And I'll trade it all to love you more, my great reward. 
And I've never seen a lover who is quite like this. No other, no other. And every single moment that I'm with you is like no other, no other. I've never seen a lover who is quite like you. There's no other, no other. And every single moment that I'm with you is like no other. No other, I've never seen a lover who has cried like you. There's no other, no other, and every single moment that I'm with you is like, stand up and sing. Jesus, you are my great reward. You are the cost. You are the cost worth living, worth living. And I'll trade it all, and I'll trade it all to love you more, to love you more. My great reward. Sing it one more time, Jesus. Jesus, you are my great reward. Great reward. You are the price. You are the price worth living for, worth living. And I'll trade it all, I'll trade it all to love you more. My great reward, my great reward. Father, I just speak your blessing over this gathering today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that I can sense your word settling in over every mind and over every heart. I can sense the plowing of the Spirit of God as you turn over the soil of every heart. So that the word is planted in good soil. And I declare that it will bring forth fruit some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus. That as we learn to value your presence above all things. That you, it would manifest in a lifestyle of worship. That worship would not be about a Sunday morning experience. It would not be about a Thursday night experience. It would not depend upon a CD. It would not depend upon what somebody else produces. But that we would give our own worship to you on a daily basis. That our hearts would voluntarily move towards your throne. Voluntarily. Mighty God, I pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd make worshipers out of us, God. Make worshipers out of us, God. And I just speak your blessing over this gathering. I thank you for peace. I thank you for joy. I thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name. You know, I just sense the Spirit of God wants to just take you to that next step. You know, some of you, you haven't laid even your life at the altar. You come to church, you know there's God, but you haven't fully surrendered your life. You haven't fully surrendered your life saying, God, you are my Lord. You are my King. And some of you, you are an Abraham. You love the Lord. You worship Him. But there's some stuff, some stuff in your heart that may be above the throne of God that you may feel like, God, I don't feel loved when I don't have this. Some of you may be singles. God, I don't feel loved by you. When I long to have a husband or a wife or when I've been praying for this, God, and I don't feel loved. And God is saying, this is a chance. This is, you don't have to wait until you're alone to get to that Genesis 22 moment. This can be your Genesis 22 moment. You know what's amazing about our God? Is that when you lay down what you love so much or the desire, what you long for so much, when you lay it at the altar, you know what God says? 
He says, stop. Look behind you. And he provides. He provides the sacrifice for you. I remember many years ago, you know what God told me? He told me, I want you to lay down your siblings. I want you to give me your brothers and sisters. I love them so much. I pray for them. I carry them in my heart. My heart is intertwined with their hearts. And I was so afraid. God, I know it's a lie of the enemy, but I feel like if I lay down, if I lay them down, if I let go, I feel like something bad's going to happen. I feel like they're going to get into an accident. Somebody's going to get hurt. I feel like I'm going to lose them. And God said, don't you trust me? Give them to me. And I remember at the altar, I lay them down and I probably looked like a demon-possessed crazy woman because I was rolling. I was rolling, crying, screaming. It's so hard. I want to. It's so hard, God. And I said, finally lay them down I lay there for a while and you know after the service I, the first step I took outside of the church building you know what God said they're yours they're yours they're yours so this is what I want us to do if you haven't laid your life yet if you haven't made Jesus your Lord I want you to come and I want you to lay your bodies as living sacrifice here. And if you have something in your heart and you're saying, oh, I've been holding on to this guy. But today, today I lay them down at the altar. If that's you, I want you to come. I want to give you this moment, this Genesis 22 moment right now. Come on. Yeah. You know, some of you, you feel like, God, if I let this go, it's like, it's like you're taking my identity. It's like, but I don't know. I don't even know how, who I am without this. But God is saying, I am going to give you your true identity, your true reward. It's not what you are holding on to. It's not what you've been waiting for. But I am your great reward. I am your great reward. Amen. Rest of you, can you just, before I release you, will you just, just, just reach out and pray for your brothers and sisters from where you're at? Come on, pray. You've been there. You've been there. You've experienced Genesis 22. You know how hard it is to let go. Even though deep inside, I trust God. But it's so hard. You know how hard it has been for you. I want you to reach out. I want you to intercede. I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters right now. Jesus, you are my great reward, God. 
of you pray against fear. Come on, pray against fear over your brothers and sisters. Come on. This is what your Lord says. This moment, this moment, this moment where you lay this upon my altar. This moment I will cherish my daughter, my son. I am well pleased. I am well pleased with you. And as you lay it at my altar, I'm taking away fear. I am taking away fear. I am taking away fear. Father, we take authority, God. Authority over fear. In the hearts of your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name. No more. No more. No more. Fear will not drive you anymore. Feel. Fear will not move you anymore. You're not going to do this or go there out of fear of losing or, or holding on to. The Lord says, I give you joy. I give you joy. I give you joy. Joy that comes out of faith. Joy that comes out of trust in me.
I want rest of you to lift your hands. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk in the fullness of his love, of his joy. There's nothing you can do to cut yourself from God's love for you. Before you do anything, God says you are mine and I love you. I want to bless you and I want to release you to go if you need to go. But every member of Living Hope, I want you to sit down and wait. But rest of you, God bless you. God bless you.